We are in our series entitled Shattered, and we'll be going looking at different episodes in the, the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be going through every aspect and every scene in 1 Samuel. This is our fall series. We call this Shattered because it's a, uh, it's a book that's it's, it's about brokenness, really, in the book. I mean, the book really has four purposes. It's to provide an accurate timeline that we can rely on. It helps us also to see the uh, laying of the foundation that would become King David's house when he is brought in, and it's also laying a forecast to... Uh, show us who Jesus is, but it also gives us moral lessons on life. And we're looking at this passage today, and this passage actually is meant to be a contrast, and we, we left out part of the contrast. It, it shows that two different individuals, actually three different individuals, you have the sons of Eli, known as uh, Hophni and Phinehas, and then you have Samuel, and the two are meant to be kind of contrasted between one another, these wicked sons who serve as priests, and then Samuel, who is righteous. But today I'd like to just focus for a brief period of time on these two sons of Eli. Now this might be a familiar passage to you, it may not. But it's a story that God has laid within his word to help talk and I believe teach us a lesson about the family. Now, again, it has many different aspects and purposes, but we're going to to really focus on this parenting aspect because it's no secret in our world today that the family is messed up. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of different definitions of family and people vying just for even what is a man and what is a woman. Matter of fact, in 2013, uh, the German government issued, uh, made a kind of a proclamation and it went into effect of November 1st of that year that it was, uh, as a parent, when your child was born, you could leave the box for gender just vacant and didn't have to declare whether they're a boy or a girl so they could decide for themselves what they are. So genetics, nor DNA, plays a part in that. And so we have this, this confusion a great deal, even what makes a man or a woman, and no conf- no, it makes no uh, surprise then that uh, there is a confusion over what is a family. And for those who come from uh, a different culture in the majority world, you're wondering probably even what I'm talking about. I mean, you come to the United States, a place of freedom. Well, let me tell you, there's some things about the United States that you don't need to copy. Because there are some things messed up, and you need to be able to help teach us and regulate us because our world has gone a little bit crazy, actually a lot crazy. So we have to go back to the Word of God and say, what does the Bible teach us? How do, we get, how do we teach our children to be followers of God? You know, I stop and ask myself the question, and maybe you've ever wondered this, what is the purpose of the family? Why did God create it? It's, it's not an invention of man. It's not a societal um, you know, structure that was just come together based on the preferences of, of different people. It is something that God gave God created man, God created woman, and he made it in all their beauty. And anything else is an aspect of the fall, which wars against God and his word. But God created the family, and and Lord willing, he brought the the husband, the wife, and they were to come together in their unity and create a child, as God allows. Now, God created this, not man. And it's interesting, what was God seeking by doing this? And I want to show this. This is from Malachi chapter 2, and this is uh, God speaking to the Israelites, and this is what he said to them. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God, one God, it's the cry of Israel, one God, the Shema, one God seeking godly offspring. Therefore, each one of you should be faithful to the wife of your youth. The idea is you need to be faithful to this marriage relationship that God has for you. God created you to be man, I mean, male and female. There's men and there's women to come together to have children. And then we are to teach our children about who God is and teach them to be followers of God. But how do we do that? 
Now, you might be here today and say, hey, Travis, I'm, I'm a little beyond that. My kids are grown. I have grandchildren. Maybe I have great-grandchildren. That time's passed. That ship has sailed. I had my children a long time ago. I wasn't following Jesus. What does this do, have to do with me? Well, this has to do with every single one of us, whether you're a great-grandparent, grandparent, single parent, whether you are uh, not a parent at all. Maybe you will be a parent one day. Maybe you're an aunt. Maybe you're an uncle. These are all truths of God's Word. The foundation, the family is the foundation of society, and we are to go and see the truths within God's Word that we might apply them and also realize that you might have had that ship sailed, but God's not done with you yet. While you're still on this earth, you can continue to pray, seek, plead, preach with your family that they might be followers of God. But today we're going to delve within this passage. We're going to see that God gives us an example in many ways what not to do. That there are not spiritual guarantees when it comes to parenting. That there are some things that even though this guy was a priest serving before God, his children were not followers of him. Just because you're in church uh, every Sunday does that mean that your children are going to be followers of God. So there's some warnings here for, for us that we're going to take away. We're going to, we're going to look and see what these warnings are. We're going to see some truths that we can apply. And we're also going to see how we can, as men and women of God, come together and pray for our children, pursue our children, plead with our children that they might be true followers of Jesus Christ. We'd like to take, I want to take a moment just for, to pray for God's blessing on the rest of our message time. Father, open wide our hearts to receive the truth of who you are. And Lord, glorify your name in our midst today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get into this text, I I, want to have actually some things that I want to set up before we even get into the text. Some things, some observations. I've been a pastor a long time. Um, and I've, I've got to know individuals. I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of families. I've worked as a youth pastor. I've seen children grow up into adulthood. I've seen the mistakes of several different people. And before we can really delve into what God has for us, I want to kind of look back over time. And this is what church history does well. This is what our own personal history does well. This is what experience does well, is we can see and learn from the mistakes of other parents. So if we're going to shepherd our children to follow Jesus, first of all, we need to be learning the mistakes of those who went before us. That's the first point that I want you to write down within your notes today, is to be learning from the parenting mistakes of others. It is basically, I want us to go in with a clear mind to see what God has for us. And, and we need to learn from others' mistakes, because there have been other well-meaning, Bible-believing uh, teachers and leaders who have made serious mistakes and missed the boat on how to parent God's way. And first of all, it's this. You, your children are not guaranteed to fi- follow Jesus. There is no magic formula. Let me write that, let me tell you to write that down right now. I have met parents that tell me, if I send my children to homeschool or Christian school, they will be followers of Jesus. No. No. That does not guarantee anything. Having them to church every Sunday does not guarantee that they will be followers of Jesus. Having them memorize half the Bible does not make them guaranteed followers of Jesus. One of the men that I met uh, when I was a younger man, I was in construction. And I would, be in, uh, I would get picked up in the morning at about 5 a.m. And we would drive two hours sometimes to job sites. And while I was in this, this I met this guy. And it, his name was uh, uh, Nick, if I remember correctly. And he was a very interesting guy. I mean, Nick got in the car, and he would uh, ride with us, and he, he had duct tape around his boot, and he had, I mean, he just had, he was a rough guy. He was always rocking around, he had a foul mouth, and he, he I mean, he had smoked every, on every, 
Every 30 minutes, he had to have a cigarette. I mean, not just joking. And, and I would be in this truck, and I'm with all these guys, and they're listening to all these awful radio shows, and I'm praying, and I'm trying to figure out how to witness to these guys. And so I make it my mission, and I'm working on grain elevators. I'm removing rooftops, and it's just a disgusting job. And while I'm up there, I'm figuring, how do I testify about Jesus to this guy? He's rough, he's foul-mouthed, and, and we're going back and forth, Nick and I, and I start talking about the Lord. And then out of his mouth comes something that I could not believe. He's quoting Scripture. Left and right. I mean, this man had memorized verses after verses after verse. And I sat there in like shock. And I said, why? He's like, ah, I'm not following God. I don't want to follow God. I said, brother, it's worse for you. Because you know the truth of what you're supposed to do and you're not doing it. So you can be in Christian school. You can be in different programs. You can memorize the verses. But there is not a formula that is guaranteed A plus B equals C that's going to make sure guarantee that your children are followers of Jesus. Now, I know that freaks parents out. What do you mean there's no formula? There's, I mean, there is, there is the truth of God's word. It's not a formula, though. And it's a passionate pursuit of God. We're going to see what those pursuit items are, but there's not a magical formula that you can do this secret sauce, if you will, to guarantee they're going to be saved. So that's it. That's the first thing. That, there's not a magic formula. Secondly, there's, uh, it's not because of the force we apply. Now, when their kids are young, we can force them to conform to what we want them to do, right? You get mom voice, dad voice. You know that, that kid's going to do what you want them to do. When they get older, that gets harder to do. You can force them to bow down. You can force them to get dressed up. You can force them to go to services, which is fine. But you can't force the heart. You can't force the heart. And I've seen people over time where their parents forced them and forced them and forced them, and they got older and they rejected them because they never shepherded the heart. They were forcing the outward behavior, but they weren't shepherding the heart. So you can't force them to believe and who Jesus is. Thirdly, it's not about the family we belong to. You might come from a long list of saints. That doesn't mean there can't be a first-generation sinner. Okay? Just because you're, I mean, for, for crying out loud, when you get into the Scriptures, one of the, one of the most crazy passages in the book of Judges, crazy passages about this Levitical priest who has this concubine who runs away from him. He goes and pursues her, Okay, and then uh, goes, she goes back to her father's house. He pursues her. He brings her back with him. He's returning home. He ends up can't getting to the city he lives in. So he camps out for this one city for the night. Someone brings him into their home. And then uh, these men come and want to basically rape him. He throws out his, his concubine. She is, I mean, this is, the Bible's not G-rated, by the way. You're not going to see this as a VeggieTales episode. And then she is habitually raped until she dies. In the morning, he gets up, basically says, get up, let's go. She doesn't. He takes her home, cuts her into 12 pieces, and then he sends it to the 12 tribes of Israel. And the point of the passage is to show how wicked the people had become. But what's indicting about the passage is that you find out that this priest is the grandson of Moses. That's how bad it got, that even Moses' grandson had totally turned and polluted the pure worship of God. God, it doesn't matter the family you come from. You could say, oh, we all went to this college and went to that college and we're all lines of path. That does not guarantee faith. That does not guarantee your child. Eli is a priest who is serving in the tabernacle and his sons are worthless men. They're worthless. It doesn't guarantee you can have great access to God. You could be the cousin of Billy Graham that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be a follower of Jesus. So it's not about the family we belong to. Thirdly, faith is not guaranteed because of the favoritism we show. 
Now, you might see a, a promise of one of your children. You might pour into that child because they seem to have some type of preference, for, seems like some capacity for ministry. You give them all the training. You give them all the tools. That still doesn't mean they're not gonna, that they're going to follow God when they get older. Just because they have a promise and you've given all the favoritism, you've lavished attention on them, that doesn't mean that they're going to follow Jesus. That doesn't guarantee it. It's good. These are good things, by the way, to do. Some of these things is teaching and training and loving, but they doesn't guarantee it. You can be the perfect parent, by the way, and your children can still turn away. Because God is the only perfect parent there is, and we turn away. And one of the greatest parents that you see within Scripture is in Luke chapter 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. That is a godly dad. One son goes off and lives a prodigal life. The other one is, stays home, but he's self-righteous. He's completely self-righteous. He does it all right. He has all the outward behavior, but his heart is away from God. It's the prodigal who has the right heart in coming back. So just remember that. We, we, those aren't guarantees. So it's not about the favoritism we show or even the faith we espouse. Just because you're a Christian or you go to this church or follow this teacher that your child will follow as well. I've seen some well-meaning brothers and sisters who felt that they were Christian but, um, and that their children were guaranteed to be so because they were. None of the above by themselves guarantees saving faith in the children. Instead, what is required for us is to teach them, to lead them to a place where they can follow God. And God has placed that responsibility on parents, by the way. It's a huge task in the sight of God. And I want to go back a couple slides, Preston, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. See, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is known as the great Shema. It's, it's the Israelite theme. It's their motto. It's their rallying cry. And it's, it's also a great theological statement, and it's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All Jews, by the way, know this. Every single one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. Now, it's interesting. In this great rallying cry, God, this great theological statement that is stating the unity of God, of who he is, the being of God, that every Jew would unite under, the second part of this passage is what is almost over, always overlooked. He says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Parents, you're to teach them to your children diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And and many Jews take this very literally. The idea is, is when you come home, when you get up, when you go to work, it's about all the time thing, not just taping it to your door. It's the idea of God's to be before our mind. We need to be teaching them all the time and and explaining things to them. And I'm not talking about lecturing them. It's coming alongside, listening, talking. We're going to talk about that in just a minute on how we do that for God. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, what we need to be doing is leading and teaching our children. That's number two in your notes. Write that down. We need to be leading and teaching our children. That is your job. It is not my job. It is your job. My job is to prepare you to help do that. It's not, uh, you're not supposed to just come and drop your kids off and say, Here, church, you do the job. You instruct my kid. No, that's my job is to help train you to do the work of the ministry. You're to train your children about the truths of who God is. It's your responsibility. That's how God has made it. That's why, by the way, parents have such an effect on children. Think about it. I mean, those who are adults here, think about how your parents affected you. God has made it that way. You don't realize that when you're a parent on how much you affect your child, but you do. You have a huge influence. Matter of fact, you have a greater influence than anybody else in the world. And not just parents, grandparents, 
great-grandparents that are here, you have a huge effect on your kids. Kids love that attention that you give to them. Many children are just waiting still for that instruction, for that adult. I can't tell you how many adults that I've had come to me and say, I want a mentor, someone older, someone to talk to me about these things, to show me the way. And you might say, if you're a little bit more of our seasoned saints, you might say to yourself, well, I messed it up. Good. Not good that you did that, but good. You have something to teach them on what not to do. There's a lesson that you can help teach and equip. We need to be leading our children. How do we lead our children? First of all, we need to teach them to run after righteousness. Now, if you'll notice, the first statement, the first statement that we see about Eli and his kids are this. What about Eli's sons that we read? What's the first thing within your scripture right there? Don't look at me. Look at the scripture. What does it say? They were what men? Worthless. Worthless. They weren't running after righteousness. Their reputation preceded them, that they were wicked men and it got out. We are to treasure our reputation and run after righteousness and let God take care of that. Meaning that if we're following God, God will take care of the other details. If we're not following God, not running after righteousness, our name, we get a bad reputation. And the Bible talks a great deal. Book of Proverbs. I want to throw some verses up there for you today. Book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. You can have a lot of money, but if you're a scoundrel and a jerk, no one's going to care. No one's going to want to be around you. But if you have a good name, people want to be around you. They want your help. They'll come to you in their time of need. It's a good name. Good name is to be chosen better than great riches. Recently, I was working, uh, I had a ministry opportunity before me, and uh, we're trying to reach out to certain groups, uh, different people, and many of you know we've been reaching out to different groups, but uh, I was seeking to reach out to this one group of people, and I, I heard about this one pastor who uh, might, be, might be willing to help. He was of this kind of the same ilk, if you will, same tribe, and so I, I, I approached him, and I talked to him, and seemed not, you know, kind of interested, and then I, I, I didn't know him at all, uh, someone had introduced me to them, and after that was over, uh, I had talked to some friends of mine I trusted, and I mentioned this guy's name, and they went, oh, no, he's a bad guy. Matter of fact, one of them said this, he is by far the worst person on the face of the earth. Now, that's a startling thing to hear about a guy who's serving in ministry. And I had it confirmed by other leaders that said, this guy doesn't care about people. All he cares about is power and fame and money, and, and, and that makes me not ever want to work with him, Ever. Because of just what this guy has done. His reputation preceded him. See, we want to reach out for a good name. And if you can do, if you do wrong, you think no one will know, people know and the word gets out. But see, when we're following God, we're, we're pursuing that good name that God wants us to have. We don't want to be worthless men. Now, so we need to teach our children to run after righteousness, and that will give them that good name, that good reputation. We also need, though, to teach our children to regard God as holy. Regard God as holy. I want you to look at verse 13 through verse 17 with me for a moment in the text. Allow me to read it for you. The custom of the priest with the people was that when many men offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling. So it's cooking in the pot. They'd offer the sacrifice, take off a portion of it, and they're offering it as a sacrifice to God. And the servant would come, and they'd stick this three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it in the pot. I mean, this is the original potluck, by the way. He's just thrusting it in there, and whatever came out is what he was to eat. And these guys, though, don't do that. They, instead, they don't want it boiled. It says here, uh, they did it at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. And in verse, verse 13, 
verse 15, excuse me. Moreover, before the fat was burned, which was to be forgotten God alone, by the way, and they don't even, they're not even allowing God to have that. They're saying the priest servant would come and say to the man who is sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat for you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Hey, let them burn the fat first. That's supposed to be for God. Then take the much as you wish. He would say, No, you must give it now. And if not, I'm going to take it by force. I'm going to beat you up. Give it now. Thus the, young, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. We're to learn to treat God as holy. How do we approach God? Do we revere him? Do we realize how great God is? I think we think oftentimes that God's just a little bit bigger than we are. We need to, we need to come back and think again. God created the heavens and the earth. You know, there's been some stuff going on with the satellites going out into the furthest reaches of space, at least for us, and it's really not that far. It's like backyard. And that God has hung all these planets, all these moons and planets, and each one is on its own axis and have their own weather systems and all these different things that are flying in. And we have all these spaces, you know, all these stars and all these galaxies and even separate suns and all of these things going to the furthest reaches of the universe. And God made it all. And he sustains it all at the same time. I mean, let's, let's not be so big. Let's look small. Have you ever seen the intricacy of a flower? I'm amazed at flowers. Just the beautiful, the petals and, and, and how they grow and bloom. And I see these bees come and fertilize them right in front of my yard. I, could I stay away from them so they don't sting me? And, uh, but they're beautiful colors. And seeing how just this vast array of colors that we couldn't come up with on our own. And I see purple and violets and greens and blues and pinks and yellows. And God made all that. And the intricacy of the human, I mean, of the, of the little flower. Then I think of all the animals of the earth and, and seeing just these beautiful animals, majestic animals. And, and I look even not just at the animals, but I look at just the earth itself. And I see these magnificent mountains and beautiful valleys and rivers and oceans with all of these different creatures that are teeming with them. And God made it all. That's how great and how grand he is. And he's holy and he's good and he's also a God of wrath. He's the God that controls the tornado, the earthquake, the tsunami. He is the God that controls the hurricane. And it's all small to him. When you you realize how small you are when you feel that wind on you. That God could take you out in a moment. But his love for you is shown supremely in and through his son Jesus Christ. That this great, big, magnificent, wonderful, holy, awesome God would choose to have a relationship with us, his creation. Even though we sinned, even though we rebelled, he sent his son to identify with us, to be merciful to us, to show love to us, and give his life as a ransom for us to pay the price for your sins and my sins. That we might have a relationship with almighty God. That's a great big God. That's a holy God. He is in heaven. We are on earth. He is glorious. He knows all of our thoughts right now. He knows the hair on our head. And for other people, that's not very many hairs left. But he knows everything about us. And he chooses to love us. So this great big God, we have to treasure and regard as holy. And it's about the heart. Where's your heart when it comes before God? Where is your heart? how you approach God, and you think of God, how powerful God is. He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. 
and the heavens declare his glory. And the skies above show forth his handiwork. We need to approach him and teach our children to regard God as holy. And they, Eli didn't. He didn't treat God as holy. And he didn't teach his children to, teach God, to treat God as holy. Now, we're to teach them to regard God as holy. We also need to teach them to resist sexual immorality. Resist sexual immorality. Hophni and Phinehas were sleeping with the girls who served at the tabernacle, according to verse, 20, excuse me, verse 22. Taking advantage of all these different women. Parents, we must be the ones in our children's ears talking to them about sexuality. We're to teach them about these things. Because if we don't, someone else will. And it will be the internet. I mean, now they're saying that teens are going in, in just this almost crisis amount. Even the secular world is noticing how bad the ravages of pornography are destroying our young people. It is destroying lives. And these kids are going more and more to the internet to find out about these things. And they're learning a polluted version of it. Because that's not how God intended it. And when you scratch below the surface, you find out all these stories of how many of these women have been trafficked. They've been abused. They're in horrible situations. It removes the illusion of what it is. And it is an illusion, by the way. So we need to be telling our kids what they see. Interact with them because they're going to see. And I don't mean you just talk to them. You ask, I mean, you ask questions. You listen. You have to interact and pray for them like crazy. But we need to teach them to resist sexual immorality. That it's not okay to do this behavior or that behavior. I mean, even Eli knew that. He knew that, but he didn't stop his kids. He let them continue. And he ended up suffering the consequences because of it. We have to teach our children to resist sexual immorality, that it will destroy their lives. We also must teach our children how to receive good counsel. Receive good counsel. Eli, to his credit, rebukes his sons in verse 23. He says, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. I mean, it got around. The reputation was bad. Now, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. We've got to teach our children to listen to good counsel. We need to listen to good counsel. Now, you know, I love the book of Proverbs. What I love about the book of Proverbs is that it teaches us how to interact with man. Billy Graham once said every morning that he would read from the book of Psalms and then the book of Proverbs. The book of Psalms because he wanted to know how to interact with God. The book of Proverbs because he wanted to know how to interact with men and women. See, in the book of Proverbs, we learn this. Let me show this to you. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Man, you miss it. You hate yourself. You're not willing to listen to life-giving rebuke. People that care enough to share with you what's going on and to confront you. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Gains intelligence. Here's another one for you. Let me call it up. Proverbs 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You can beat the fool all you want. doesn't matter. He's still a fool. But a man of understanding... It will go deeper into him. We have to teach our children how to listen, how to interact and understand words, because words are powerful. We also know how to, an effective way to communicate them. We need to be careful how we talk to our children, too. When, how we confront them, how we rebuke them, how we counsel them. I mean, do you demean your child in the presence of all these people and talk about them as if they weren't there? How do you talk about your kids? 
I mean, when they're little, of course, you have to, to put them in, I mean, you've got to put them, make their behavior go. But as they get older, they're, they're growing, they're learning. But are you demeaning them and, and breaking their spirit? Sometimes we need to pull them aside and instruct them. Listen, but also teach. And again, it depends on the child, depends on the situation. A lot of things it depends on. But the scripture does talk about this, about powerful a word, especially the word of a parent is, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. Your words can hurt your kids. It can stab them, cause them pain on their souls. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So if you're rebuking, and I've had some brothers come to me. I mean, I've had one brother comes to me, and he rebukes me. And and at first, you know, you brace for that rebuke. And then he does it, and I feel good when I leave. Because I know that he cares about me. And he's not just doing it to shut me down. He's doing it because he wants my best. And that's what we want as parents, do we not? Do you not want that best for your kids? Your goal is not to break them down. The goal is to help build them up to be what God wants them to be. Now, sometimes we have to break them down in order to build them up. But we need to make sure that we're careful with our words and how we interact with our kids. Here's another one that's for you from the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 15. I love this one. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. It means there how you talk to the king, be very careful. But your word, even though it's soft, it doesn't have to be in a harsh manner. You don't have to yell all the time. Now, there, there are some parents here, your first reaction is to yell. That's all you do is yell. And now your kids don't listen to you, and you're like, well, I'm yelling! Well, it's when you yell all the time! They're not going to listen. Now, I reserve yelling for certain things, but I've also learned the opposite is true. When I get quiet, now my kids are getting real scared. My kids were doing something at the table the other day that I was really frustrated about, and my oldest daughter looked across the table, and I could see she's like, oh, no. She looked at her brother and said, she goes, shut up. Daddy's mad. <laughs> and I just breathed and got real quiet. <laughs> so we have to learn, have to interact, how to, how to use our words. Because that even just a soft tongue is powerful enough to break bone, to, to, to hurt. We have to be careful of that. You have to teach them how to receive good counsel. We also must teach them how to repent from their sins, by the way. Repent from their sins. We have to model repentance. See, Eli, these guys didn't know repent. They didn't didn't repent at all. Even though they'd been rebuked, they didn't repent. We have to teach and model repentance in front of our kids. And if you've made a mistake to your child, if you've sinned against them, ask them for forgiveness. And some people say, wait a minute, what? That's going to be humiliating. No, it's, it's, it's actually empowering that child to see that truth is more important to you than being right. See, when I come, and I, I've, I had to do this to my kids. When I've sent them to my kids, and I sit down, and they're usually freaked out that daddy, as soon as daddy gets down to their level, they're like, oh, no. And I said, would you forgive me? Yes, daddy. Ah. But I, I, want to, I want to show them that this is how you ask for forgiveness, because we know how quickly pride can be and how destructive it can be, because we want to assert our own way to show we're right. But we can show you're right to the point where that severs the relationship. We have to model forgiveness and model repentance and what that looks like in front of our children. We also have to warn our children of the consequences of rebellion. Or consequences of rebellion. Now, what happens in verse 27, excuse me, and it says, There came a man of God to Eli. We don't know who this was, just a man of God comes to Eli. Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him? out of all the tribes of Israel, to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then 
Do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? Why do you honor your children, your sons, above me? By fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your house of your fathers should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me, I will be, will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off all your strength and the strength of your father's house. And he goes on, and he's giving them this rebuke, and he's saying that here's the consequence for your action. Because you refused, you honored your children above me, then I'm going to take all of this away from you. So we have to warn them about the consequences of rebellion. Because God is not ma- mocked. What a man sows, he will also reap. We need to teach our children that because it's going to happen. It will happen. It does happen. It may not happen immediately, but it happens. That God will bring their consequences back on them. They will reject that and be angry. But if you show them and you love them, they will see that you care. And we need to make sure that we are loving our children. That's the thing that holds this together all together. It's not just about learning from others' past mistakes and leading them, but it's loving them. Loving our children because, remember, there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We need to make sure that we are loving our kids, loving our children. But what does loving our children look like? I'm going to go through these rather quickly. First of all, it's this one. Make sure that you put God first. Eli didn't put God first. He honored his children over God. Put God first above all things, even if it means that your children are going to be frustrated and angry and disappointed. If your children are frustrated and angry and disappointed, oftentimes it means you're doing something right. (laughs) Children are not going to be happy with every choice you make. They like to complain because they learn that from their parents. Okay? So we need to make sure that we're putting God first above all things. And what does that look like? It means that you're pursuing God. Are you pursuing God? Do your children see that you're pursuing God? Do they see that God is a priority in your life? Are you allowing other things to be scheduled in front of the worship of God's people? What about sporting events? Well, let's, let's touch that one for a moment. Let's talk about musicals. Let's talk about competitions. Let's talk about all that stuff. What is then the priority? Is it, what is more of a priority in your life? Where's the priority? Is God the most biggest priority in your life? And I'm not just talking about worship tenants. I'm talking about everything in your giving, in your home, in your entertainment choices. See, not only does it involve putting God first, it means that we need to make sure that we are practicing what we preach. Children have amazing Hypocrite detectors. They will know really quick whether your actions and your words match. You can say all you want, but if your actions betray something else, and you might be completely oblivious to it, but they know. And you're teaching them to be hypocritical. And they will follow suit. Remember the commercial in the 1980s? I learned it by watching you. We are copiers at our core, by the way. From the time that we're in the crib, and we start picking up mannerisms of our people and our culture, how we speak, how we not speak. That's why I love interacting with my brothers and sisters from different countries, by the way. I was, I was talking to Mugasha about this. When I talk with Mugasha, I know he's communicating with me. He goes, hmm. <laughs> it's an African way. So I've been doing that with some of my friends. Mm. And they all laugh at me because I'm a Mzungu. <laughs> I'm a white guy. Uh, but I mean, hmm. Yes. Or in India, you do this. It means I'm listening to you. And these things we learn. We learn from our parents. We learn in our cultures. We learn in our homelands. And their children are watching and they're copying these things. And we need to make sure that we're being careful of that and teaching them and instructing them. 
Because they're copying our lives, not just those little actions that we have and little way that we do things and little culture tidbits that we have. It's the values and things that we hold dear. They see that. So we need to make sure that we are practicing then what we preach. We also need to make sure that we are paying attention to their needs. Don't just run roughshod over your kids. Each kid is different. Each kid needs something different. The other day, uh, my daughter had the opportunity to do all this great stuff and happy stuff. And, and she came home and her brother was feeling really sad that he didn't get to do any of that stuff. And, and, and um, they asked for a snack and he asked for it. And, and my wife gave him a little bit more and her less. And my daughter has this justice detector that she's like, Unfair! Unfair, unfair. He got more than I did. And, and he'd had a rough day. And, he, and she, my wife looks at him and looks at her, and she goes, he, get, he gets, and each one of you got what you needed. He, he needed that a little bit more. And my daughter got frustrated and walked away. She knew he's right. she was right. She realized she got to do all this stuff. And it's, it, but it's paying attention to our child's needs. Even as they get older, by the way, we need to pay attention to those needs. Now, I have to be careful. I'm not a perfect parent. I've got kids still in diapers, so I'm not a perfect parent here. I'm learning myself. I'm in the midst of the trenches, but I, I, I am a student of human nature, and I'm a student of the Scripture supremely. So we need to make sure that we are paying attention to the needs of our child and what each one needs. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach to children. Your first child and your second child are going to be so different. They're going to, one's going to enjoy this, one's going to enjoy that. And don't compare them to one another, by the way. That's the worst thing you can do is compare your kids to one another. Don't. Each one needs to be treated individually as the way God had them to be. So we need to make sure that we are paying attention to their needs. We also need to make sure that we are placing consequences before them. Placing consequences before them. You know, when I was a kid, and I don't know if you remember this or not, here in the United States, the first day of school is usually one of the, it's a fun day, but it's also a scary day. It's also the, the day usually when your teacher is most mean. Because your teacher knows that they have to put all the rules before you and get the class to follow because if they're going to be pushovers, the whole rest of the year is going to be tough. So they have to lay down the law. These are the rules. This is what you have to do. And I I remember hearing the rules, but it was always in the days and weeks to come that you found out whether the teacher really adhered to the rules. And one student would inevitably break the rules. And then all the other students would watch, does the teacher follow through with the consequence? Because if the teacher doesn't, what happens? Rebellion. Rebellion. And that teacher, we own that teacher from that moment on. So we need to make sure we follow through with consequences. We do as parents as well. If you tell your children that you're going to do something, you need to follow through with it. Now, you need to make sure you understand the entire situation. Don't jump to conclusions on things, but make sure that you do follow through with the consequences that are there. And that, that we need to see that. That's, I don't think Eli did that at all. We need to also make sure that we are pushing them spiritually. Pushing them spiritually. Uh, We need to push them to be what God wants them to be. Don't just let them sit there. Don't just let them play on their phone, on YouTube, or playing with their Netflix Netflix queue. Kids can handle a lot more spiritually than we think. We need to push them. I didn't say force them. I said push them. Um, and I, I uh, have some, uh, a friend of mine who is a missionary uh, in Ghana for several years, and um, he uh, takes his children, and he, each one of them he would send to a, and it was at their choice, he sent them to mission camp, where they actually learned to be missionaries, and they actually lived in the bush, and they had to learn to get their own water, 
food, make their own shelters. And then they would do this for three weeks. It was a matter of the center of uh, Florida. They would do this in the summer. And then at the end of three weeks, I mean, they were also getting trained in doctrine and evangelism and all these things. Then they would actually fly out of the United States and go to different foreign countries. There'd be about eight of them. They'd go on trains like in India or be in in Nepal or or, uh, Burma or wherever, and they would just evangelize. Now, did I mention, by the way, these guys were 10 years old? Did I, did I mention that part? These, some of these kids were doing this. They were 10. Now, some people are like, oh, 10 years old. Not, not all were. His were. And they loved it. By the time they were 16, I met one of his daughters. She traveled to every continent in the world. She had a capacity to do ministry. Now, not every kid has that capacity. Some kids are later bloomers than others, but some do. I'm, my point is, is that not that you have to send your kid to mission camp, okay? But my point is to show that kids can do a lot more than we think. And handle a lot more than we think, spiritually speaking. We need to be pushing them on to pursue God, not just sit there and uh, wait till they grow up, see that they're valuable now. And lastly, we need to make sure that we are praying for them continually, praying for them like crazy. That's it. You bring them before God. No matter what goes on, no matter how you failed, no matter what happened, <laughs> push them. I mean, pray for them. Bring them before God. I was talking to someone the other day, and they talked about how bad their parents messed up in their life. And yet God, people were still praying for them and they still are following God. You might mess up, but God will still accomplish his purposes. If we continue to pray and bring them before God, he will work on their behalf. That's what we're supposed to do as parents is to love them, pursue them, uh, and pray for them that they might seek him. As we saw at the very beginning, God seeks godly children. We need to make sure that we are taking taking our responsibilities as parents very seriously, no matter what their age. And if you're here today and you feel like maybe you have blown it, well, and the time has passed, you couldn't do anything else. But that doesn't mean your job as a parent, over, it's over. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. Keep letting them see that Jesus is real in your life. And then wait for God to change them and you in the process. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done in our midst, what you are doing. And Lord, I pray that you continue to bless us. Lord, help us to be better parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Lord, uh, whether you have us to be parents in the future or if we're to help give counsel to someone who's a parent, no matter what our age our children are, Lord, I pray that you help us to be the parents that you want us to be. Lord, show us, continue to show us within your word, as just you did with Eli, uh, the disastrous consequences that await if, wait if we don't take our parenting seriously. And we don't honor you above all things. Lord, we thank you for what you've done and how you've laid that out within your word. Lord, may we learn from it and apply the truths to our hearts that we might go forth changed and our children might be those godly children that you seek. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.